Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor since 1975. The NBA and NHL seasons are in full swing. SeatGeek, the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to your favorite team's games. Buy and sell tickets in just two taps on your phone. Have SeatGeek help you find the best seats at the best prices. Fully guaranteed. And if you're looking for concert tickets, even better. I've had SeatGeek on my phone for two years, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets thanks to their revolutionary grading system. I just used it to buy two extra LA Kings tickets. That's the hockey team that plays in Los Angeles. And it could not have been more simple. Just try it out. Download the SeatGeek app today or go right to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by Channel 33. That's the Ringer's pop culture podcast feed. And we're brought to you by The Watch with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan. They've been on fire lately, and they have Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham's coming in when? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Lena Dunham coming in tomorrow on The Watch. Uh, Channel 33 is where you can find my Sports Movie Hall of Fame podcast series, by the way. We're doing another one soon. We're negotiating. We're, ta- we're talking about possible movies. For Love of the Game is in play. Hardball's in play. We don't know. Major League. We just don't know what the next one's going to be. If you have any suggestions, email us. And finally, we are brought to you by TheRinger.com. That's where you can find uh, my Friday column. I will have a Friday column this week as well as all of our awesome written audio and video content on the football season that just wrapped up, the NBA season that's heating up, the Grammys just happened, the Oscars is about to happen, a lot of good stuff going on there. Um, we were going to tape this for the Ringer NBA show and it got carried away and now this is uh, just a full special bonus podcast. We didn't tell them what we are going to do. Sean Grandy coming up a little bit later to talk about... Um, this crazy Celtic season and the fact that they might have a chance to get the one seed now if Kevin loves that for a long time. And also what they should do in Isaiah Thomas's um, meteoric rise into becoming at least an offensive superstar. But first we have Kevin Clark from The Ringer, who is the most tortured Magic fan I know. He's also the only Magic fan I know. Uh, so he has both those titles. But there's a Serge Ibaka trade today. Orlando's falling apart. We're going to talk to him first. It's an all-NBA edition of the BS Podcast. Here we go. All right, we're going to talk a little hoops today. It's a Tuesday, almost afternoon. It's sunny in Southern California. It's not raining, at least until later in the week when the rain's going to come hard and fast and furious. It's been a very strange winter. It's always a strange winter if you're an Orlando Magic fan. We're going to talk to Kevin Clark from The Ringer first. He's on the line. We're bothering him on his vacation. He just worked his butt off for The Ringer for six straight months with the NFL and decided to take a nice peaceful vacation this week. And his favorite basketball team, the Orlando Magic, just made yet another terrible trade. And Tate, we were talking about whether this is the pro. It's what what would you call this? It's not the process. What is this? It's like the anti-process, the never-ending yeah. process. What yeah, is it? it? The exorcism. Well, oh. first of all, I want to be clear. You're not bothering me on my vacation. Rob Hennigan is bothering me on my vacation. Fair. Um, I mean, this is this is really bad. Um, this is like. The it's like you know how midway through Lost everyone realized there was no plan, like there was no real ending. Yeah, um, that's what this is. Is that all of this sort of oh he's doing this to to clear space for this? Like it's just not going to come together. Yeah, it's not. It's the eternal rebuild. It's not the process. So that so last June they traded. 
the number 11 pick in the draft, which turned out to be Sabonis, who's on OKC, and Victor yeah. Oladipo, yeah. who was eligible for to to negotiate an extension uh, last October, for Ibaka. And when they did this, people were confused because, for one thing, they had Aaron Gordon on their team who played Ibaka's position. That seemed like you know yeah. a red flag right there. Um, Abaco was only under contract for one more year and then could be a free agent. That also seemed like a red flag because you have to resign him and you have to be pretty much good for him to want to stay there. Um, and then the third red flag was then they went and got Bismack Biombo in free agency for a lot of money. And suddenly they had Nick, uh, Nick Vucevic. They had Abaco. Yeah. Is it Vich or Vic? Vooch, Vooch is his nickname because it's Vucevic. No, I know, but it's is it Vic, does it end Vic or Vich? I've really got to figure this out before Vic. my life is over. It's, it's Vic. V- before Vucevic. Before the Celtics, you have to figure this out. This yeah. was Zach Lowe. Vic. This made this drove Zach Lowe crazy because Zach Lowe married somebody who was Croatian, and I could never get the Vich Vic thing right, and he would yell at me, and I've gotten it wrong so many times I can't remember which way is right. Anyway, they had four big. They basically had four big guys. In a league where everybody has gone small and nobody plays more than one big guy at the same time, unless it's like, you know, rare exceptions like Utah and there's not enough minutes. Now they're playing Aaron Gordon at the, at small forward. It's a disaster. And finally they cut bait today. They realize Ibaka's not coming back. They trade him for Terrence Ross, a perfectly fine swing man. I would say he's, (laughs) he's above average, maybe slightly. He's like an eighth man, maybe. Maybe he's not average. We have a lot. We we lead the league in eighth men. Right. So he, there's another eighth man for you. He makes ten million a year, and you got the worst of their two picks, which I really thought was the most insulting part of this because they have their own pick, <laughs> and they have the Clippers pick and the Clippers pick, and they had so little leverage that Toronto's GM was like, "We're going to give you the worst one of those two first round picks." So they basically, if you include the fact that they gave Tobias Harris away for nothing. They basically traded Tobias Harris, the 11th pick, and Victor Oladipo for four months of Serge Ibaka, Terrence Ross, maybe the 24th pick, and enough money to sign Bismack Biombo, the center that they didn't really need because they already had a center. I'm hard-pressed to find a worse plan than that. Uh, can you even come close to explaining it? No, I mean, it started in 2012 when he traded Ryan Anderson for Gustavo Ione. Oh. Um, obviously there were, there were, there were contract issues there with Anderson. He was about to come very expensive, but I mean, they just, the pattern is to take assets and turn them into nothing. I think because Hennigan won a few trades because he got Booch in the Dwight Howard deal. Yes. He also got Al Harrington in that deal, by the way. Um, you know, he had Aaron Aflalo turn him into Aaron for Evan Fournier. That was good. He won the first Harris trade. Um, as far as, Getting, um, getting you know, four months of JJ Redick going to Milwaukee in exchange for Tobias Harris and Bino Udre. That was a good trade, but that's only because of the sheer volume of trades he's done. Of course, he's going to have some good trades. So for me, it's just every single thing he's had. That's the history of the Magic. Whether it's Shaq, whether it's Penny, whether it's Dwight, we've turned assets into nothing and ended up with nothing. And this is just a continuation of that. As far as this goes, Hennigan fits the Magic culture to a T. So I think you were on my podcast last summer when the Magic yeah. were, were doing all these dumb things, and we were like, why are they doing all these dumb things? We did couldn't understand it. We were very dubious that it was going to work out, and it worked out even worse uh, than yeah. I thought. But it really starts, 
I think Hennigan was okay. He did a good job with the Dwight Howard trade. I mean, he had no leverage whatsoever sure. and somehow got some assets out of that. The night that it fell apart for him was the night when Sam Henke looked him looked across the table at him like Teddy KGB and ate his Oreo and just basically stole a <laughs> first round pick from him. He took Alfred Payton. Had no, it didn't seem like he wanted him. Made no sense with Michael Carter Williams. It was an idiotic pick, but took him hoping that Orlando would be like, "Hey, wait a second, that was our guy. Wait, what if we gave you our pick two picks later and we'll throw in something else?" And it's what happened. It's I don't think I think it's the only time in the NBA draft that I can remember that a team picked a guy hoping that the team behind them would immediately panic, and they panicked. And they ended up, they traded yeah. two spots back and gave up a future first-round pick that I, I can't remember how good that pick was. But from was that... Dar- Dario Sarge. Was right, Dario it was Sarge. Dario Sarge, but then something else, too. You got a future yeah. something. And from that moment on, he he was never the same. Like, he got his pants pulled down. Well, yeah, and, and then it was just bizarre moves. I mean, we gave up Maurice Harkless for nothing. Literally, like, a conditional second-rounder. Yeah. And Maurice Harkless would be one of the best players in the Magic right now. So, I think that once... I think Hennigan, you know, he's almost like Peyton Manning in 2003, where when everything goes perfect, he's great. But once he started to see the plans sort of, like he said, Hinky just sort of stealing his lunch money during the draft. I mean, once that started to deviate, he just started to panic. Kylo Quinn, gone for nothing, you know, replaced him with Jason Smith, who was gone after a year. I mean, it was just, it was a series. He did not have a plan B or a plan C or a plan D. And now we're on like plan F. So in 2015, he took Hazonia, and I really liked Hazonia. I, uh, yeah. you know, granted, just watching him on YouTube and stuff, but just seemed like uh, almost like Marco Bellinelli on steroids or something. Like just had this very athletic swingman game that made sense with the way the NBA was being played. And um, to say that that pick has not worked out would be to almost belittle how bad the pick was. On top of it, it turned out to be one of the better drafts. So they missed yep. Porzingis by one pick, but then a few picks later, you just have this incredible run of, you know, Justice Winslow, Devin Booker. Um, yep. You had Miles Turner, Trey Lyles, even Kelly Oubre, and even Terry Rozier at number 16. All of them have been better than Hazonia. But did you like that pick at the time? I loved it. I think if you watched what happened around the Hazonia pick, for instance, hiring Scott Skiles, who's a coach who hates young players, and yeah. saying, you develop Mario Hazonia, who Mario Hazonia was very cocky. When he came in, he had that line. He played for Barcelona, and someone said, did you ever see Messi play? And, and he said something to the effect of, well, Messi needs to come see me play. I mean, yeah. like, he was talking so much trash. And I'm like, yes, this is the guy. And then he couldn't play defense. He couldn't get on the floor. He couldn't crucially shoot threes, which is a problem for, for Mr. You know, three-point shooter. And so his confidence was gone by Christmas time of his rookie year. And yeah. all of a sudden, Scott Skiles is unhappy. And so you just get into a situation where, I mean, maybe in a vacuum, maybe, and we say this all the time, but if he, was on a, if he was on the Spurs, you know, he'd be averaging 20 points by now. But the Magic just surrounded him with mistake after mistake and, and just did nothing to develop. And at this point, there's questions about his attitude, about his work ethic. I'm pretty, you know, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago about what you would trade for for Hazonia. I'd pretty much take anything at this point because I think in Orlando, he's beyond salvageable. Yeah, that's another thing with Hennigan is how bad his coaching hires has been. Jacques Vaughn, pound for pound. Jacques Vaughn, pound for pound, was like almost hiring like the guy from Weekend at Bernie's. And then Skiles for a year. We're still on our third coach. 
Yeah, and then yeah. even Frank Vogel, very good defensive coach, below average offensive <laughs> coach, maybe average to below average. I really like Frank Vogel, but you know those Indiana teams were defense, defense, defense. With the roster that he has here, I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't know what the game plan is with that. And then uh, it's just weird. Like I, it's one of those teams. Like Tate and I were talking before you called in. They're almost like a junior college. You pass through Orlando, yeah, to try to get your life together before you go to a real college, and then you become a real basketball player. I'm like, oh, I'll never forget that year I spent at Oklahoma Community College. <laughs> that got me ready for Kentucky. Yeah. That's kind of what the Magic have become. It, it, we have not run an offensive play since 2011. That was it. I ran that by Sport VU. The last offensive play was 2011. Aaron Gordon does certain things really well. He cuts to the basket. I saw a stat the other day that basically no one is more successful on cuts to the basket than Aaron Gordon. Yeah. And yet we've built an offense around Alfred Payton dribbling around for 20 seconds and then, you know, heaving it up basically um, or passing it to, to Aaron Gordon who then takes a jump shot instead of cutting to the basket. Right. Um, I mean, I just, at this point, it, it's it's motivation and energy. I mean, I, Frank Vogel continues to complain about energy, which makes it the third coach to complain about energy. And there's two things you can do. Either get energetic guys Maybe don't trade away Victor Oladipo, or you just you know you know have a coach who motivates them. I mean, I don't understand why everyone fails in Orlando. It's unbelievable at this point. I don't understand it either. And what's crazy is the Celtics were so desperate to trade up in that Justice Winslow draft, and were offering like all kinds of goodies to get up to number four, number seven, number eight, number nine, yeah. whatever. That Hazonia pick had way more value than just the fact that it was the number five pick in a draft. Like they could have just moved down, picked up more assets, and you know it's too bad. And and uh, well, not too bad if you're the Celtics, but too bad if you're the Magic. And I don't really know. Like, who do you build around now? Do you build around now? Who? What? Like, just strip I mean, the well, roster down. Well, who Gordon, do you care about? Yeah, I care about Aaron Gordon, and that's it. Do you I mean, don't care about any other player. Evan Fournier is under contract, a good contract, but I mean, if he's your starting two, are you really winning that many games? I mean, I think, I think he'd be a decent sixth or seventh man. Um, he's certainly the only, you know, at some points during the season, he's the only capable scorer. I think the Magic have so many slump-prone guys, and they all tend to slump at the exact same time. That's why they lose, you know, 10 or 11 in a row every year. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I really think that, that Gordon... And maybe Biombo. Biombo's on a fine contract. I, I think the, the criticism of it is a little bit overblown. Um, and, and then, again, Fournier is, is affordable for the next few years. So those guys are fine. I mean, Peyton can't shoot. Uh, you know, we had a thing on the ringer this week about Rajon Rondo and how guys without a jump shot can't win anymore. And, and that's, you know, thank God we drafted one, you know, in the lottery uh, yeah. with, with, with Alfred Payton. Um, and so it's just I don't have a lot of hope for anybody. I would have, I would have been okay paying Oladipo. I mean, that's better than this. That's better than paying Terrence Ross $10 million a year. I really like Oladipo. And unfortunately, he's on a team now where, you know, everybody just stands there and watches Wes Westbrook dribble around. Or as Magic calls yeah. him, Wessel Westwick. Uh, they just watch him. They watch him uh, dribble around for 20 minutes or and and he shoots every once in a while, and every once in a while, some somebody gets to catch the ball. I would still love to see Oladipo on a good team being used correctly. I believe in that guy, and I think he plays hard. His stats aren't terrible. It's not like he's having a bad season for them, but you know, he's never really played with a point guard who goes into a game going, "Hey, I'm going to make these guys better. I'm going to I'm yeah. going to get the uh, Victor the ball here and this guy," that, and it's just never happened. 
The, uh, he had an end of end of life form, Jameer Nelson. He had well, Alfred Payton who couldn't get in the ball. I mean, yeah, he's never he when he played he played point guard his rookie year essentially in a sort of Russell Westbrook scenario, and he was great at creating his own offense. But I mean, he just needs a guy who's going to give him the ball in the right spot, and he's never had that. That was horrible when they did that. That was like one of those we're trying <laughs> to tank, but we're not going to admit that we're tanking, so we're going to play a two guard at point guard for big stretches of the season to just sabotage our own team. And who cares if it does any damage to this guy's career at any point? I didn't understand that. The It was exciting. Here's the was de- here's the destiny for Hazonia. At some point he's gonna like either leave or they'll trade him, they'll give him away. He'll flame out another team. He's gonna go back to overseas for like three years. He'll win like the yeah. Euroleague MVP and then the Spurs are gonna sign him. And he's going to yep. be freaking awesome, and it'll be like the next Manu for them for like ten years. That's my prediction. He's definitely going six for nine from three in Game Six of the Finals in like yeah. seven years. He's going to find the right team, and he's going to be good. He's not. I, I'm. I'm not selling all my stock yet. I have. I have a lot of Alfred Payton stock that I might have bought a few years ago because I liked him. And <laughs> I think the Ringer piece today was right. It's like if you have, if you're one, you're two, or you're three, can't shoot you're effectively screwed against half the league. Like you see with OKC the other night, they have Robertson and they have Anthony Morrow, who's been in a slump for two years. And those guys are playing big minutes and they can't shoot. And it's just too easy to stop. And it's too easy to shade other guys over. And then you look at a team like, you know, the Celtics in Utah the other night, they just spread the floor. Everybody can shoot and they render Gobert like a useless. He's a, almost irrelevant in the game because they're so spread out. He can't figure out where to wobble over to. Um, I'm with you. Basically, you have this year's lottery pick. You have Aaron Gordon. And that's about that's that's. And then a bunch of seventh, eighth and ninth men. Do you, would you trade Vucevic or would you keep him? Yes, absolutely. Well, it depends with, I mean, there were all those rumblings that Ibaka would get, incredible, you know, trade return, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden we got Terrence Ross and what the 25th pick for him. So, I mean, I would keep Vooch around. He's a, he's a really good anchor for a second unit on a good team. So I think that you could make a case to keep him around, but I also think that a contender could use him. I mean, you know, I still go back to Danny Chow's comparison. He's a poor man's Ennis Cantor. Uh, I agree with that. Yeah. I think he could help a contender, and I think you you know a contender would be okay trading a, a nice package of picks or, or, or a good young player for him. I just it, it it all comes down to the return. I don't think he's essential to the to the to the new rebuild, the the eternal the eternal process. The, here. the re 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 rebuild. You know. Yeah. Rebuild I was thinking nine. they were kind of screwed with Ibaka because there was just no trade market to him. And I noticed this when I was trying to figure out who could trade for Carmelo a couple weeks ago. Where you have, you basically have, yeah. thir- you have thirteen teams with a winning record. You have maybe four of those those teams until today had the right mix of expiring contracts, draft picks, um, lesser assets to kind of make a three for one or a two for one or a four for one, whatever it took. And Abaca's market was basically the Celtics, Toronto. Maybe Utah and maybe Atlanta, you know, because yeah. Atlanta has splitters expiring contract. They had their own first yeah. pick and that's it. No, no other team that would make sense. They can't trade him back to OKC because you, you have to wait a year to reacquire a guy you traded and you just go on down the line and that was it. So I thought when I, when Woj tweeted Toronto's traded for Ibaka, I was like, oh, and I, I actually tweeted this. So it was like, oh, it must be, I bet it's Patterson. 
Jacob Pulte, the the first rounder from last year, and then this year's number one. And then you see the trade, and it's like, oh, okay, Terrence Ross and the worst of their two first rounders. But yeah. nobody else was bidding. Obviously, the Celtics yeah. were out. They weren't so. So I, you know, I think the same thing's got to be the case with Vucevic, where it's like, yeah, makes sense on paper, but who's bidding for him, and what are you getting? Exactly. And I think the big failure of the Hennigan regime, especially this year, has been just misunderstanding the trade market. We signed Jeff Green to a one-year $15 million deal. Mm. He's shooting 38%. He's shooting 38% and he actually looks worse than shooting 38%. He looks yeah. like one of the worst players I've ever seen. Okay, Why would you do that if you're not trying to trade him as an expiring type thing? I mean, it's just like they've set up to have a blockbuster mid-year trade because look, I think Hennigan knows he's on the hot seat. They need right. a star, and they're they're not going to get one. So I think he he was you know getting a Baca. He was signing Jeff Green. He's done this a couple times with veterans in the past. He was gearing up for a massive mid-year trade, and it's just not going to happen. The trade market is just different this year. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's the type of team that is the perfect trade trade partner for a Damian Lillard trade, but yet right. their assets didn't pan out. Like if Azonia was really good. And, right. you know, you do like, all right, what if we do Hazonia, Vucevic, our number one this year? And the, the, you just start, you just kind of overwhelm them with pieces, but they don't have the right. pieces. And what do you do at that point? No. I think, you know, I really like Gordon, but I also think there's a little bit of the, you know, sometimes this happens in the NBA, these young guys, everybody gets all excited about them and, oh, this is the year for it. He's really never done it. He's had a couple ga- a couple really great games, but we have no and, idea and if he could contest. be good. Yeah, and a dunk contest. And we have no idea if he could be good for 82 games. We have no idea if he's the perfect four. I like him. I think he could. He's had some really nice moments against the Celtics where you watch and go, oh, Jesus. But, uh, well, it's interesting to me. Vogel compared him to Paul George when he took the job, and I can safely say he's not Paul George. <laughs> he did. All right. The jury's uh, in. Yeah. Well, I feel bad for you. I know you love the magic. Yeah. It really hasn't been that much yeah. fun. And and the sad part is the glory years where you had to root for Dwight Howard, who's one of the least likable guys to root for in the NBA. And that was like the highlight of all of this for you. I call those the Hito Turkoglu years. Smart. <laughs> Smart. I like it. The, 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 the PED year. Yeah. Were you also taking performance enhancers or was that just the team at that time? I had in, I had incredible fourth quarter cheering stamina, and I don't think it was natural. Yeah. Uh, last thing, just quickly, thirty second football question, and then you can go back to your vacation. What is your prediction for a Jimmy Garoppolo trade? Oh, oh. Um, I think this is just this is playing to my audience, but I also think it's possible. I think one of those teams with a with a. I, you know, that's interesting. I don't think you're going to get one of those top five picks. I know you're thinking about the Niners or something like that. I don't think it's going to happen. I think you're looking at a high two from a team like the Niners or the Browns. I would say minimum we're getting number 12 from the Browns. Ooh, okay, okay. That's the floor we'll for see. me. I, I, I think it's going to be one of those, like, you know, pick 33 through 38 is what you're looking at. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Two-time Super Bowl champ Jimmy Garoppolo available, and you're telling me teams don't want him? The guy's won two rings. How about Jacoby Brissett positioning himself as the heir apparent to Garoppolo with all those Brady t-shirts? <laughs> that was the, un- the unheralded storyline, is that he just he so badly wants to be 
the new number two, that he would, Brissett was just wearing Brady jerseys for the entire playoffs. You wouldn't trade Garoppolo in 32 for number two if you're San Francisco? Um, move back 30 spots. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I would not take that, no. Okay. My dream. We'll see. I mean, look. I wrote this on Friday. My, my dream is for Belichick to move into the top three and then trade backwards 20 times. It's. I feel like everything in my life has been leading to that moment on my draft day. I'm going to have five paramedics if, on hand with my dad if, if they have the number two pick. If Belichick got the number two pick, you guys would end up with picks 14 through 32. I feel like it's in play. That's how yeah. much you would trade back. I think we could get this entire even, second half of the draft. <laughs> this be Browns and Patriots alternating. That's it. We should, we, I think because we, the Browns have like eighty picks in this draft. I think we get every third round pick. If he starts out with number two, I think he could just keep moving backwards until it's like for the th- third round. The New England Patriots are on the clock for all thirty-two picks, and that's our destiny with this. It'd be great. Uh, enjoy your vacation. It's a bunch of Ohio State players. Enjoy your vacation. Thank Thanks for weighing in, and uh, and maybe when Orlando gives away Vucevic, we can uh, we can do this one more time. I'm not looking forward to it. Mm. All right. Take it. <laughs> All right. See it. Bye. We're going to call Sean Green in a, in a second. But first, I'm telling you a second time about SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. They can help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed with their revolutionary grading system and a team of ticket concierge experts that are a phone call away with free advice. Download the SeatGeek app today. It's great. They have a cool grading system, and it'll tell you, hey, don't get this ticket because it's a little too pricey, or you should get this ticket because it's awesome. They do a really good job at it. They have tickets for everything. Even my mom uses SeatGeek, and my mom is so technologically inefficient that she went from Culver City to my office uh, yesterday and took La Cienega the whole way, which is an inside joke for LA fans, but uh, LA residents. But if you take La Cienega the whole way and then take the right on Sunset, you're technologically inefficient. So just for the record, and even she uses SeatGeek and can figure it out. So check out SeatGeek, download the SeatGeek app today, or check out uh, SeatGeek.com for a whole bunch of cool things. All right, back to the podcast here, Sean Grandy. On the line right now, uh, my favorite basketball play-by-play guy, the radio voice of the Boston Celtics, and somebody that I get to listen to now because of Sirius and because of TuneIn. Now I get to listen to my own broadcasters. Sean Grandy, how are you? You know what's amazing about Sirius and you being in L.A.? We have a, Max and I have a whole new group of fans yeah. from L.A. Because we're dry, it's drive time. Perfect. It's in great. In L.A. So, yeah, I listen, who knew? You know, everyone was really like, when you said, Mom, my favorite, people were like, wow, this guy must be really good. And then you said Celtics, and then you lose your credibility. Oh, he just he's a Boston guy, so. No, you're, That's what Simmons like. you're really good at it. And there's not a lot of... Well, you can't. You can. There can never be play-by-play on play-by-play crime. But there's just not a lot of good play-by-play guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, don't say anything. Just sit there in, in silence and don't acknowledge the statement. But listen, <laughs> you're I, telling an announcer to sit there in silence. That's like torture. Yeah, I know. I know. So the the uh, the Magic traded for, or they traded Serge Ibaka to the Raptors today. I'm I'm guessing the Celtics kicked the tires on it. You followed the Celtics team all season. My guess is that. You know, the rebounding issue is the issue. Serge Ibaka doesn't totally help with that. My guess is that they're laying in wait. Do you think they have a big trade in them before the deadline next week? 
I'm skeptical every year that everyone's got a big trade in them. And then we have that year like two years ago when nothing happened to the deadline. Then like nine minutes after the deadline, 48 deals happened because everybody was so desirous of making a deal. I don't, I wonder, I've been skeptical all along that there's that big deal available. I think there were some nice pieces. Ibaka was certainly one of them that would have fit what the Celtics need. I think everyone's talking about the defense and the rebounding, but I'll, let me throw you at least a little wild card, or at least off the scent a little bit, and down a different path, which is that two years ago the Celtics won more games than they were supposed to because Isaiah came over and became the sixth man. You could score whenever you needed to in the second unit. Last year, Evan Turner very quietly had a six-man caliber year, and he could get you a bucket when you needed one in the second unit. Celtics don't have that. At times you've seen it from Kelly, Marcus Smart, to me, I wouldn't trade Marcus. There's almost nobody you could name in the NBA that I would give up Marcus Smart for. I don't care if he goes 0 for 20 because he'll make a play for you every night that will help you win. But he's not a go-to guy when you need a bucket on that second yeah. unit. So that's something that the Celtics don't have. So while everyone's thinking big and everyone's thinking of Vucevic or they were thinking of Baca or somebody to you know, solidify the rebounding, Celtics were actually hanging in there. They've sort of given up on the defensive rebounding in that they don't think it's one of the critical things you need. You have to be better at it than they have been, certainly. And I tweeted the other day when I informed Brad Stevens that they were no longer 30th in defensive rebounding. He said, did somebody drop out of the league? Right. That was his his response. That was his response to that. So you have to be better. But I don't think it is priority number one. I think... Uh, you know, defending multiple positions is priority number one, and then priority number two would be to make sure, like you see a lot of teams, what that does for Toronto is it makes their second unit so much better. Yeah. And that's what's separating the elite teams right now, because there are a lot of teams. Washington is one of them. You see them all over. Utah is another. The starting five is really, really good, but the drop-off when you get to that second group is enormous. That's been a big advantage for the Celtics, even if they are missing that Evan Turner yep. type this year, but... That they have a flexibility to them that I thought Toronto was missing, and that's why I thought it was a dangerous trade for, for the rest of the league that Toronto did that because, first of all, Ibaka is one of those. The better his teammates are, the better he's going to be. He's just a guy that knows how to fit in with all kinds of things. But now they can go small. Now they can play Ibaka and Patterson and Carroll and Lowry and DeRozan, and they just have a different look. And that's one of the things that I think the Celtics are missing. The Celtics have all these different lineups, but there's one thing they don't have is when, you know, when they're getting out rebounded, when like Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love are out there and they don't have that Kenneth Fareed guy that can come in and be like, I'm going to get seven rebounds over the next five minutes. We're not going to get destroyed here. That's what we're missing. I, I use we like I'm on the team, but the Amir Johnson, Tyler they, Zeller, hey, those go minutes. Get a rebound. Yeah. The Amir Johnson, Tyler Zeller minutes. If the, even if it's 15 to 20 a game, if that's going to somebody who can grab some rebounds, I think that would make a big difference on this team. Celtics right now are in this. I mean, you're, you're in a 36-hour renaissance, especially if they beat the Sixers uh, you know, on Wednesday night and the Kevin Love injury, where people are legitimately going to be thinking about the number one seed and starting to have these fantasy. Oh, you know, LeBron's going to rest for a while. You know they're going to rest guys. Maybe that number one seed is in play. But meanwhile, if you want to you know, go on the other side of it, the games you're talking about, the one that – jumps to the forefront of my mind because it might play out in the month of May is the night that Valanchunas got about 89 rebounds yes. all in a row in that third and fourth quarter. So you're, you're looking at guys, okay, you go in, you're not going to see Rudy Gobert in the playoffs, and you're not going to see some of these guys. But, yeah, you're talking about Tristan Thompson, you're talking about Valanchunas. These are the, you know, these are, those are the lineups that the Celtics will have to neutralize. Yeah, I watch them, I watch them almost as much as you do. And 
there's certain matchups that are scary for this reason. Well, two reasons. One is the rebounding thing, but the other thing is like they have to hide Isaiah on defense. Like it's not a secret. So when you when you're going against Washington and they have John Wall and Bradley Beal humming at the same time, and now it's like, well, what do we do with Isaiah? I put him over here on Otto Porter. Like that's not good. And it's the same thing with Toronto when Lowry and DeRozan are going at the same time. Hmm, where does Isaiah go? On top of that, then you have Valanciunas, who, you know, one of the few teams in the league, he just seems to torch as the Celtics. And it's weird. Like, those are two of the worst matchups in the league for them, and both of them are the probable second-round opponents, one of them, if they make it. Yeah, and they're certainly aware of it. The dirty little secret of this run of Isaiah fourth quarters, which in Boston has become less of an NBA game and more of a Broadway show. In yeah. which everyone everyone knows exactly what's going to happen, but they want to come out and see the finale of Hamilton, and they've been dying to get tickets to see it, and then it actually happens in front of them, and it's an amazing thing to see. And I've stopped talking about Iverson in comparison because Iverson didn't even do the things nobody's done. What we've seen him do in the fourth quarter for the last six weeks—it's been mind-boggling when you're trying to process something you have never seen before. That he just does whatever he wants to do. However. The dirty little secret of it is the Celtics aren't outscoring teams in the fourth quarter. They go into the fourth quarter up by three, and they win the game. Isaiah scores 18 in the fourth, and then they win by three. Because defensively, the fourth quarters have been absolutely atrocious. Because Isaiah Isaiah competes on defense. He competes. There's no question about it. But we were, you know, I'm 18 hours removed from watching him, Rick Carlisle, set up pick and roll so that he would have to guard Dirk over and over and over again. And it it looked like my five year old trying to guard me one-on-one. And the Celtics are going to get, they know, they, they concede the damage that that is going to cause. You just try to minimize it. He's so good offensively that it makes up for it. But yeah, he, 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 I tweeted this a month ago, and I think people thought I was crazy because Cleveland is the best team in the conference and the team that's probably going to the finals. In a weird way, they match up the best with Cleveland out of Toronto and Washington. Yeah. They have the right guys to throw at the right problems on Cleveland. And, you know, Avery Bradley, I hope he's healthy at some point for the rest of my life. Uh, Avery Bradley guards Kyrie better than anybody guards Kyrie. I, I Kyrie demolishes 90% of the league. And for whatever reason, Avery just can kind of stay in front of him, make him work. Kyrie might get his points, but Avery makes him work. We The Celts have multiple guys to throw at LeBron. The rebounding thing is an issue, but it's a team that they can kind of hide Isaiah on, which makes them a little more dangerous. But, like, man, that Washington team, I'm really hoping they screw up the trade deadline and they don't add anyone to their bench because their top six, is a, is a that team's a real problem. I don't, I don't think that team's yeah. going away. They absolutely are not. And, I, you know, if you're the Raptors, all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, the, Toronto was stride for stride with Golden State in December. They weren't just beating people. They were beating people up. They had a four-game lead in the division. It looked like they were going to walk backwards into the two-seed. And then there was that game in January that I just referenced with Valanciunas, and that was, in your parlance, that was a little brother game. Yeah. That was, we're not ready to hand you the division yet. You know, it, there's still a gap between us. And all of a sudden, you know, the Rosen injury. And my only con- my concern about Toronto was, and we probably talked about this, the wild card for what I thought clearly was the second-best team in the, in the conference coming into the season, as much as everyone was ready to anoint the Celtics, was all of the miles on Lowry and DeRozan with the long playoff run, the national team, and then another long playoff run. You're, at. You're putting a lot of weight on those two guys who play a lot of minutes Yep. Anyway, 
But Avery Bradley might be the key to this. Listen, you talk to players in the NBA in real conversations, not interviews and microphones in their face, about the guys they don't want to play against. You'd be amazed with names I could mention on, you know, on Golden State and Cleveland and all around the league. Guys will tell you that Avery Bradley is maybe the most underrated two-way player in the NBA, making this run, in which the Celtics have won 10 of 11, by the way, without him, even more remarkable. His, his plus-minus is towards the bottom of the, the entire Celtics run. You know, you can do whatever you want with numbers. But the fact the Celtics have not I've kept the winning games is stunning to me and how many close games they've won this year. And the big question we'll find out in May is, have the Celtics been lucky throughout the course of the season, or have they just learned how to win, and are they really good, and do they believe that they're going to win games at the end? Because I'll give you a great number, because I don't want to get all John Hollinger on this whole thing, but I'm a big scoring margin person as it pertains to getting a real sense of how good a team was during a season. Yeah. The Celtics scoring differential was better last year when they were 19-19 and 19 than it is right now when they are 36-19. and 19. If they would blow teams out last year and they'd have some big games. Here, they win close game after close game after close game, and their margin, which is about 2.8 right now, that's really small for a team that's 17 games over 500. Toronto has a much better scoring margin. I think Utah has a much better scoring margin, and the Celtics yet have, have found ways. I and mean, you just don't really know until the playoffs when the team hasn't done it yet. Uh, have they been lucky during the regular season, or are they just that good, you know, late and close? I'm really glad you brought this up because I have a lot of thoughts. I like... I like all the advanced numbers that are out there. I think we've gotten better at putting the numbers together. The offensive rating stuff, the five-man plus minus, all that stuff. I I look at all of it. I think it's interesting. I think there's little things you can take away from everything. But the difference with the Celtics team and why I don't think it's lucky is go back to that first game in Oklahoma City, right? Westbrook, It's the Celtics are playing great, and in the last couple minutes, Westbrook – just becomes Westbrook and is just the best guy on the floor. And you watch that game, you leave that game as a Celtics fan, you're discouraged because we just don't have a guy like that. When when it comes time to go mano a mano with Westbrook, there's maybe nine guys in the league who can do it. We don't have a guy like that. All right, fast forward to the home game against Oklahoma City. Same thing. Westbrook just turns it on. He becomes Westbrook. Even Heinsohn, who never who will would rather like drink acid than praise an opposing player. Even he's like, that was amazing. You got to give it up to Westbrook. But what's changed in the last two months is Isaiah has turned into a guy who can go toe to toe with those guys. And that's why like, I don't give a shit about, Oh, you know, on defense, this happens. And Oh, actually, if you look at the fourth quarter, their defensive rate, that's all fine. You can show me any number you want. All I know is that basketball at some point, comes down to here's my best five and here's your best five. You're going to score and I'm going to score and one of us is going to blink. And Isaiah can score on just about anybody in the league right now. And I don't think this is a fluke. I think he can get to wherever he wants on the court. And I think he's way better than Iverson was offensively. I was that. I loved Iverson. I, I ranked him yeah. 12 spots too high in my book. Iverson wasn't this efficient. Iverson couldn't get to the rim like this. Iverson couldn't create contact over and over again. He couldn't make shots in the lane over big. I mean, this is insane what we're watching, and I don't think it's a fluke. And I, I told you that's why I stopped using the Iverson thing, and I started using, uh, I think we talked about this too, but I started using the Roy Hobbs thing. Like, whatever he <laughs> right. wants to do, he does. And he's, you know, one of those, even last night, which was a pedestrian fourth quarter by his standards, which I think he had seven points in the fourth quarter. He just, there, there's a fearlessness 
Uh, but maybe this has to do with the way the game is played now versus the way it was played when Charles Oakley was on the court and not being dragged out of buildings, that there is no fear. Uh, maybe there should be for little guys going in one-on-four. But knowing that he can maneuver, there's not even that hesitation. Yogi Ferrell, by the way, who's the real thing, yeah. who's going to have a future in this league and going to get paid, the difference right now, and you can see a lot of little Isaiah things in the way Yogi Ferrell plays, but there's still that hesitation when he starts towards the basket because he doesn't know yet that he can make it through that maze, that you know Eddie Murphy golden child thing when he's in Tibet and he has to somehow you know jump from pillar to whatever. Why I've thought of that movie that I've thought in 30 years, I have no idea. But you're, you don't know that you can make it to the other side. Isaiah knows he can make it to the other side. He has so many different ways to score. He's reached that point in the NBA where you've been in the league a few years and know what you can do, but your athleticism is still either on the way up or hasn't started on the way down yet, and that makes him a very dangerous man. And I think the things I've noticed watching him from last year to this year, the the number one thing is they don't call him for the push-offs anymore. He gets superstar yeah, respect right. from the refs. like. He's going yeah. in. He's got these. He's this little guy who go, attacks from all angles. He's got long arms. He's. I mean, the biggest asset he has is his arms are like the arms that a six foot four person would have. So when he goes up, he still has to create a little space with the defender. And they used to call him for that push off, and they just don't this year. So that's one thing. The second is, and I don't know if he worked on this over the summer or if he just got better at it, but he's kind of mastered that twelve foot in the paint, step back shot, float that high arcing 12 footer that I just don't remember him making every time last year. And then the third thing is he's making crazy three pointers, you know? And this is like, we saw last year the the right kind of team would just defend Isaiah a certain way and he couldn't adjust. And you definitely saw it in the playoffs this year. Two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. This year teams, are going into fourth quarters going, all right, here are all the things we have to do to stop Isaiah Thomas, and he's still scoring. And it's like, oh, I'm in the corner with Cody Zeller. I'm just going to take a step-back 25-footer over yeah. a guy who's 15 inches taller than I am, and he's just making them. And, I again, I don't think it's a fluke anymore. I think this is just who he's become. Confidence is a very scary thing. And the biggest issue with the Isaiah's whole life has been about doing what he was told he could not do. And the biggest concern for Celtic fans is now that he has the ultimate respect. You're talking about him getting it from officials. He absolutely is. Second straight all-star game. He's got to be running around looking for things. There's no they're going to the hotel. There's no tags on these mattresses in the hotel. They don't respect me. Right. You know, he, you're, out of, you're out of things to you know create that us-against-me-against-the-world uh, mentality. And it's funny you mentioned the crazy threes because in the last two games, the Utah game and the Dallas game on Monday night, he's taken them very early in the shot. It was almost like the ultimate league-wide heat check, where he's yeah. taking them for the first time out of the rhythm of the game. Like, you don't take it with 20 on the shot clock when you're up by 8 with a minute 40 to go on the road. But he's sort of testing the outer limits right now. And it's it's been interesting to be around him. I We went... A few of us, Brian Dew, the strength coach, and Isaiah and I, we went into Turner when we were in Atlanta last month. And to see the reaction, the response he got from Shaq and KG, and a lot of us, you know, I hadn't seen Shaq and KG in a while, to see the reaction that he got, he understands now what's happening to him. A lot of people, this happens so fast when you get into the zeitgeist and then you're in the NBA and you're a superstar. It all happens so fast and it's done. He's very aware of everything that's happening around him. He's really a, a fascinating guy, and it's you don't often see someone who is 
both performing the way he's performing and at the same time completely cognizant of where where he is now, what he is doing in terms of the history of the game and where he stands right now. It's pretty cool to see. It's the, the only thing I can compare it to that I've seen in basketball. I mean, there's been other cases like Nash took a big leap when he was on that Phoenix team. But to me, that was a case of just the style that they were playing was a little faster. And it's not like he made like this dramatic leap of excellence. He was really good on Dallas and then just kind of jumped up a notch. The only thing I can, can really compare it to that I remember is Bernard King in the mid eighties. Cause I was living in Connecticut at the mm-hmm. time. And when Bernard, the 84 season, then it carried over to 85 before he tore his knee. But somewhere during that 83, 84 season, it wasn't a very good Knicks team. And he just kind of figured it out. And night after night was unstoppable. And I, I watched a lot of those Knicks games cause we didn't have the league pass back then. And you're just desperate for basketball. Um, and at some point, he just kind of figured it out, and it was just every night he's getting thirty-five, and that's what this felt. This True. what this is starting to feel like, where Isaiah just figured out something, you know. And this this is thirty games now. Obviously, in the big picture of NBA history, it's just thirty games. But when we think about the things we can remember, and I was like, you know, Yogi last night at Dallas was like, you know, Yogi Sandpaper because what he's done off these ten-day contracts, and we're five years from how fast time goes. It's already been five years since Jeremy Lin. And that Jeremy Lin run was what, 12, 13 games? Right. 14 games, maybe? Yeah. And, you know, Jeremy Lin has had a solid NBA career and obviously stayed in the league. But when you think about the ability for guys that came in overlooked to stay at a high level and just continue to get better and better and better, it, it just doesn't happen. And I do think, um, you know, people have written this, and it's not like this is a new point, but the way basketball changed has really helped certain guys. And it's not just the fact that the other team doesn't have big guys. Cause like he did this to Utah on Saturday night and Utah's Gobert who's the best defensive center in the league. It's, it's the spacing and the amount of space that he has to do what he has to do. And if, if you just threw him into a game from like 1989, there's five guys in the paint and he's not able to do this. And now the way everything is so spread out that when, when you have a guy like this, it's the most important asset you can have in the league now is somebody who can use the spacing against the, against the defense and get to where he wants to go and do what he wants to do. And, and this is before you get to all the slash and kick stuff he can do, the hockey assists, um, the type of team he has around him. But uh, it's the best weapon you can have. I, but I, there's a lot of guys who you could say that about. Like I think C.J. McCollum is fantastic. And I think C.J. McCollum, to me, is somebody that I could see making a leap in the next year like Isaiah did this year and all of a sudden become like a 28 to 30 point a game guy. There's a lot of really gifted guards who are starting to figure out the spacing thing. You see it every, I'm sure night after night, you're like, holy shit, this is just a different sport. I've never seen anything like this. I think that I can't obviously say that out loud, even if we are on HBO now. I really think you should have you should have brought, you and I grew up, you know, not only with the other four letter plays, but with HBO and there's that, that Music they played going into the movies when they would first put it on. Yeah, it was like you, they would take you through this star thing. I, that should be the way it should. That should be the open. By the way, I mean that because the really podcast. That, you're right. Why don't I do that? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'll, I'll try I to get it. From I don't you. know Good why call. you never thought of it, but Good call. it's an easy one. Uh, all right, at the risk of whatever penalty comes with name dropping, I will take it only to make this point. But a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Pistons were in, so I was with, and it was a TNT game. It was one of these new Monday night TNT games, which I think is throwing 
everybody's equilibrium off yeah. to see TNT games and Charles, everybody on. It's great because one of the things I thought the show, and obviously it's the greatest show, studio sports show in history, period, NFL Today, Brent and Irv and all that, it is the gold standard and it always will be. But one of the things that's missed being on Thursday with the exclusive games is not having all the highlights like they did last night. I always miss that. In the early days, in the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there'd always be a lot of highlights and games yeah. for them to go through. And I think you get that on Mondays, which is great. But a couple of weeks ago, it's a TNT Monday game, so Kevin McHale is there, and the Celtics are playing the Pistons, and I'm literally I'm sitting having dinner with Rick Mahorn. And here comes Kevin McHale. And the two of them, I'm sitting in this conversation now, and it was basically like sitting in the middle of a three-dimensional 30 for 30. So they're, and they're talking about, you know, in the 80s, of course, it always comes to, you dismiss when you're around veterans as much as I am now, you know, the league, you learn with that grain of salt about, well, in my day, they wouldn't have been able to do this, and this guy wouldn't have been able to do that, because we all know the things that have changed in the athleticism. But it's a, we were talking about that, about Isaiah and these guys. Now, if Isaiah, who went one-on-four last night, and beat four Mavericks to get to the basket and switched hands and laid it in with the right hand of the rim. If he went in against the bad boy Pistons doing that, he'd be at the free throw line. But he also might be in the hospital. Yeah. So it has, you know, there's there's no question that, that it has changed and guys have benefited. And it's not an accidental change. The league is, you know, is more popular now than it's ever been. And the TV ratings are what they are. And you have a whole new, uh, you know, range of superstars and kids love watching the game for this reason. My son is five. He wakes up in the morning now, and pretty much the first question he asks me, other than when are we eating, is how many points did Isaiah score last night? Yeah. This is this is where, you know, and the great, hey, he's a five-year-old has already been flying on the team plane and getting high-fives from Marcus Smart. He's living the life that none of us ever got, you know. But still, that's the question he asked me in the morning. So it's a far more appealing thing to watch. We We, we reminisce about it about the 90s, and we will watch every 30 for 30, and we'll, we'll weep for Charles Oakley getting dragged out of Madison Square Garden, which we should have, but we build up what he was as a player in our minds. He becomes more popular now. All those guys from those 90s rough-and-tumble games, because we don't have to sit through those whole games. We can watch Jeff Van Gundy get you know bitten on the ankle, dragging guys around the floor during a brawl. We don't have to sit through the entire game that led to it. You know, um, that's why it's unfair to compare Iverson and Isaiah in a way. Because if Iverson, if you just put 2,000 Iverson into this game right now, the way it's being played, I think he he would have been way more unstoppable than he was in 2,000, you know, with the amount of space. Yeah, I don't know if he would have course. shot the threes like Isaiah did, but man, if you're just taking out two to three big guys out of the paint, it just would have been unbelievable for him. It would have been unbelievable course, for Tiny Archibald. It would have been great for Calvin Murphy. You know, it is the little guy renaissance. And I think Kyrie is the one out of all these guys that, yeah. and maybe it won't happen with LeBron on his team, but at some point he's going to have a monster season. But I, I was talking to my friend Hershey today on the phone about how the 86 Celtics would have played against some of these teams. And we basically, I was like, I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure Parrish plays that much. I think Parrish is the fall guy. Nope. I think it's like McHale and Bird and Scott Wedman. And, you know, there's a little more Sam Vincent. And it's just, I don't know. I, there's just no way they could have trotted out the way they did with the way the math is. And teams would have just spaced everyone out and done what, you know, the Celtics did to Rudy Gobert on Saturday night, where it's just like, oh, all right, you you're going to play that guy? Max, Max would be playing the five. I mean, you know, and like yeah. definitely, we've actually talked about this. That he, would, he never shot threes, but he would have to go far. 
you know, step out and shoot threes. Here's the other thing, because you're a, you know, you've studied all the stats and you've written them all and you've looked at them. You're talking about not just going in one on four against those guys. What about some of the players we saw 15, 20 years ago playing with the pace that the game is played at now, where the stats, I mean, look at the stat lines we have seen this year with Harden and Westbrook yeah. and all around the league and, and Adetokounmpo, and it's insane. And it's funny, I was talking to somebody the other day about how baseball has gone in the other direction because the statistical advantage is take more pitches, get the starting pitcher out of the game, and so the games are longer and less appealing to the eye. Whereas in the NBA, the statistical advantage now comes from getting the ball up the floor and shooting early in the shot clock. And the statistical advantage has helped the game become more enjoyable to watch, whereas baseball's had the other problem to try to, you know, I don't know what the NBA equivalent of putting a runner on second base will be, you know, in, in overtime, but I'm sure they'll think of it. By the way, as long as we're, I'm in this, um, I have this form, um, it's overtime. This is something that's been bothering me for years. Is five minutes of overtime too long? I think Does it, it should reset be, the game too much? I think it should be four. Or, I mean, what about, well, let, me, let me give you a random thing. This is actually Brian Scalabrini and I don't, you know, we don't share a lot of common views, but this is actually one of them. We sort of stumbled onto each other as overtime soulmates. Two minutes on the clock, you're over the, there's no fouls, there's no whatever. Uh, to me, five minutes, you're just resetting the game. You're pushing the game too far back from an intensity standpoint. It doesn't have the feel of overtime when you go back to five full minutes left in a game. Plus, I agree. Really shortened games, they really long. I, I guess the the reason not to do it would be just the history of the game and some yeah, of the it's triple not like team. Putting a runner on second base, where you're really altering it that much by I mean, how many minutes are you shaving off? You know, over the course of a no, year, but it's you like you know, overtime games. JoJo White playing sixty of sixty three minutes, and sure. they, that's the kind yeah. of stuff that you lose. Hey, quick, maybe playoffs you go back to. It. We we have to go, and I have quick I have quick questions for you, and then we're leaving. Um, Rock and roll. I think you and I are the two biggest Marcus Smart fans. People think when when I praise him, they think I'm trying to drive up his trade value to to get rid of him. And all I can tell you is, if there's a game seven of a playoff series, yep. I want what I I just want him as one of my five guys. If with seven minutes left, I want him on the court. I know he's going to make plays. I don't know what the play is going to be, but if there's a loose ball, he's getting it. If there's a charge, he's taking it. If there's rebound and traffic, he's going to get it. The guy's just a winner. And I don't know what he is. I've never really watched a player like him. I've never seen somebody with like more more exaggerated strengths and weaknesses. But the ultimate package is the guy. guy's just a winner. He makes plays. And what you just said, it sounds like an 80s sitcom opening. Yeah. You know, if there's a charge, he'll take it. If there's a loose ball, he'll make, you know, all these plays, he'll make it. I've, I said this last time on the air. If Danny, if Danny wants to trade him, he's going to trade him, but I'm going to be on call waiting. I'm going to be beeping in to that call. Like, you know, he's going to have to, you know, ignore it. wouldn't trade him. Or whatever, cause, you yeah, know, I, we're talking, I had Steve Kerr on my pod on, on Wednesday, and we were talking about that game seven, about, you know, he how he regretted, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I've watched game seven a bunch of times. There's things I would change to the lineups. But he, he wouldn't talk about what they were. But if you really look at that game seven and because Bogut wasn't there and because Barnes wasn't playing well and they couldn't play Azili, they just didn't have the fifth guy. And you get to a game seven like that and it's just like, who are my five dudes? Who are my five guys that aren't scared? Who are my five guys who want to be in this moment? And that's one advantage that the Celtics team has is they have some guys who are not going to be afraid in that moment. Horford's not going to be scared. Isaiah, Marcus, Avery. Jay Crowder's almost too unafraid, which I think is his flaw as a basketball player. He's the guy who will take the biggest shot of the season and miss it 
and not and be totally fine with it. Um, but they just have a lot of guys who are ready. Uh, quickly, uh, is one of these good questions going to be about Andre the Giant? Because I'll be disappointed. That's the last not. question. Um, can you explain to everybody yeah, that so we'll, we'll skip we'll skip Fedor we'll skip Fedor for now. Fedor's yeah. fighting on Saturday night. That's like we'll go right to Andre. Oh, Bellator. Okay, do the quick Bellator. Uh-huh. Well, no, we'll do it. We'll save it for the well, end. We're, save it for the end. Well, my, oh, you got it. Um, can you explain to everybody that the Jalen Brown pick was actually a good pick? Because I think that's another one where people are like, oh, you're just saying that because he's in the Celtics. It's like, yeah, um, Jalen Brown has a pretty good chance to be the single best defender in the league at his position in about four years. I find it amusing that anybody, and this is what Twitter is for, and I get it, draw a conclusion on a 20-year-old kid um, midway through his rookie year. And by the way, look where he is compared to the rest. This isn't exactly a rookie class setting the league on fire. So right. he's you know, up in the upper upper group of it. Anyway, he's 20 years old. I think sometimes you know my the, the great Doris Burke, my dear friend, once said when asked about her, all the criticism she would get, the nonsense on Twitter, she would say, look at the assignments I'm getting. Look at the assignments uh, you know, as an indication of how well she's respected. Jalen Brown is playing significant minutes on the team with the fifth best record in the NBA right. at age 20. Yeah, That's a pretty good indication of what he brings to the table now, let alone what he will at 22, 24, 26. And I would urge people when they play, unfortunately they played the Warriors early in the season and he only got a tiny bit on Durant. But Stevens, Stevens took him out of the baby carriage about three weeks ago and started to let him kind of run around the living room a little bit and bump into the coffee table a few times. And yeah. But I think when they play Durant and LeBron again, I think people are going to be surprised how many minutes he's on those guys. And I've been so impressed by his defensive intelligence and his ability to just make the right decision on whether to go under or over a screen and just all these little things, all the types of players he can guard. Um, I don't think he's scared. I don't see, you know, he'll be in there in crunch time. He'll have like a big follow-up layup, stuff like that. He's not afraid to shoot. And he's the type of guy that where the league is going, these six, eight super athletic guys who can guard four positions. Like that's probably the number one desired thing you would want defensively. So I've been impressed. I think we're going to hear from him in the playoffs. I Like, I really think he's an X factor. I don't think he's going to play 40 minutes a game, but he's an X factor. So there's a reason. That, I mean, Danny is uh, Danny is well aware. Right? Even he may pretend to be aloof about it. He's well aware that there's eight guards on the roster. Like when draft time came, there's a reason he took Jalen Brown. Yes, and not you know some of the other guards that Chris Dunn or whatever were at a really high high ceiling. There was a reason he chose you know what the NBA prototype is going to be. Yeah. So just so it's not a totally pro Celtics podcast, like you know the Amir Johnson signing did not work out. That guy has not really helped them this season and. Jerebko, 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 Jerebko. I still, I, I know it's Jerebko, but I always call him Jerebko. You know, he's he's had one of those bad luck seasons. He's almost, he's almost like uh, Tom and Jerry. He's been Tom for the whole season. He gets hit by the anvil and gets hit by the iron and uh, gets. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. The plane he's runs into him. He's wearing that mask now for the. Yeah, he's wearing the mask with a broken nose. He can't see. He yeah. can't see. He has no peripheral vision. He's trying to rebound. I said last night, he might as well wear one of those sleep masks they give you on the airplane right. for, for all the, the one he's wearing now is doing him. So, you know, there are holes on this roster. And Horford, it's been interesting to watch. You know, people get bored. They start trying to pick the team apart. And they're like, oh, Horford. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't rebound. It's like, yeah, 
did you see his stats in Atlanta? Like that's he brings a lot of great stuff to the table. If you're looking for him to get 15 rebounds in a game, you're looking at the wrong guy. Well, why did we pay 30 million for him? Because the second best free agent, and he's somebody that can guard any player in the low post. Five other teams would have, by the way. Yeah. How about this? He can guard any single person in the low post, and he can shoot yep. threes, and he's really fucking smart, and he knows where to go on a basketball court. And if you think you got the ninth best player in the league, you didn't, but you still got somebody who's who's a you know a very high level five in the way basketball is being played. And I'm fine with two that. Two years signing. ago, two, two years ago, the Celtics were five slots from the bottom in the NBA. Now they're the fifth best team in the NBA in two years. The Al Horfords, Isaiah doing what he's doing, these are all little reasons. Everybody wanted to take the express lane and do whatever the 2015 version of the Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett thing, and it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't there. And then all of a sudden you go along the back roads and you realize, hey, we got here. <laughs> you know, we got to the top five spot in the NBA taking the back roads instead of the same, you know, instantaneous super highway we took 10 years ago. Well, they had some luck too. They were ready to overpay for that Justice Winslow pick. They were, oh, I mean, that that would have been a disaster, and they would have ended up losing the Jalen Brown pick out of it. Um, I think they were ready to overpay for Jimmy Butler last year. I would rather have the Brooklyn pick right now because I think there's two franchise guys in the draft, and they have an unbelievably good chance of getting one of them. So, you know, you need a little luck with this stuff. All right, Andre the Giant. Very quickly, we announced the documentary on HBO yesterday, and uh, you know, let's just say you'll you, really. I, I I hadn't read anything about that. Give any, any is there any articles on that or any any kind of any kind of buzz? I would and, put you and rightly so. Well, I would put was, you in the top seven for people who would be the most excited to watch this. Uh, I I would yeah. There's no question. I, I would say the only thing that it, it strikes me is that we can see now with the internet and YouTube anything you want to see in the world. You can see with about two clicks of a mouse or pushing on your iPad or touching the screen. Andre the Giant in this, you know, so when we grew up, late 70s, early 80s, when you would see him, when I saw him walk into Madison Square Garden, and people would just, they were so filled with both awe and love for the guy. Yeah. The shot, you just didn't see anything like in that day and age. It was just. You just heard rumors and you read magazines about this guy. You'd, you'd see him on TV when he was like standing on the box to make him look even taller, standing next to you know a, a young Vince McMahon with a seventies hair. But when you'd see him walk into a building, it was people's faces were just they, he would he would make them happy and he would fill them with this feeling of like I'm really seeing something special. And then when you you know you get to know some of the people that I've gotten to know who spent time with him over the years, you realize he was a far more layered and fascinating human being than he was a, you know, a physical specimen. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I'm auditioning for, uh, for the, uh, to be in the doc, I guess. I'm trying to come up with these like, uh, you you, know, documentary. I can promise you we're going to interview you because you were at MSG <laughs> for a few of those. Need a couple fans in there. Uh, um, all right. Bellat- when are you doing the Bob Backlund one? When's the Bob Backlund one coming out? Is that, is that going to be next? That's, that's the flaw in your wrestling fan resume is that your favorite wrestler know, of all time was their worst champion hey, of all time. I'm of my I'm of my dinner and if that's a Boston guy said he'd come up here and get booed, he'd come down to New York and be, you know, everybody would just cheer him out of the building. But you're a, listen, there's kids who grew up you know, your son came into the John Cena, you know, yeah. era. Yes. And if, if kids older than him, 
you know, if he's got friends that are five, six years older, they probably hate John Cena because it's the cool thing to do when you become yeah. an older teenager or whatever. So it's all you're a product of your time. And that was sort of my entry point when I was seven or eight years old. Like in 1980, all of a sudden Bob Backlund was the guy. So yeah. it's, 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 it's over the years, it's always happened. Um, Bellator this weekend? Fedor, I mean, who could have imagined a couple of years ago I'd be calling a Fedor Millionaire fight, one of the greatest like sports radio, internet, podcast, message board arguments you could have is who is the greatest of all time in any sport. And you've written big, giant books on the subject. And if Fedor may not be, you could talk about Anderson Silva and you could talk about John Jones, you could talk about GSB, but there's no conversation to have that does not include Fedor Millionaire and the beauty of MMA, one of the beauties of it. It's a sport that's new enough that the greatest ever competed in it, some of them are still competing. Yeah. And so to get to see Fedor in, you know, in real life on Saturday night and fighting Matt Mitrione, uh, you know, you, you had a lot of fun at the show. It was a big show for us in L.A. Uh, a few weeks ago. I know your son was all excited to see that Paul he Daly knockout. It. He's going to fight again. He's going to fight Rory McDonald in May. It was a big free agent signing. And everything that's happened in the other sports decades ago, pre-agency, you know, uh, health issues, health care issues, it's all happening now in real time in MMA, and it's doing it under this enormous spotlight. So it's yeah. pretty cool. And they're going to get more and more people who are younger who've been watching these guys who are getting into it, and it's just going to and who are competing. The talent you know, younger athletes keep going now up. who want to do this, yeah, younger athletes who want to do this. They grew up wanting to do it. That didn't happen, you know, in the early days. So now you're getting elite, world class, national champion wrestlers, and this is the direction they're going. Yeah, I mean, if we're just having a broad MMA conversation, like. Amanda Nunez, the, what she did to Rousey was like, that's the difference right. between the old era versus the new era. Is like, she comes in and she's just an athlete. <laughs> you know, she's like, she's throwing lefts and rights and she's built like a, like a Greek god. And it's like, this is the future of MMA is bodies like that the, the and ten, people like that. The 10 second version is this. It's MMA, Jeff Blatnick coined the term, mixed martial arts. And in the old days, in the early days of sport, you could be elite at one thing, as Ronda was in judo, world-class, you know, uh, judoka. But now, if you're not a great striker, and you don't have great jiu-jitsu, and you don't, you're not going to compete at the highest level unless you can do all of those things extremely well. It's kind of like basketball when, uh, when the ABA just made basketball athletic, and there was that whole class of guy, that, that, the small forward, the Don Nelson, that type. <laughs> And it was just like, yeah, you guys are in trouble. There's there's guys coming, and it's it's not going to be great for you. It's not you, Walter Davis is coming, and Julius Irving, and there's this is not good. It's not John Lucas. These guys are fast and athletic, and you're in trouble. He's coming, yeah. and the rest of them are coming too. So saddle up, because it's not going to be the way it was. It's it's evolution the way it needs to be. Sean Grandy, um, this was fun. I'm glad we did this. Talk to you closer to the playoffs and listen to you on Sirius and tune in and all these fun places. You don't just have to be in New England anymore to hear you and Max. Uh, I'll talk to you, you soon. Thank in, you. In you could be in traffic in LA. Yeah. Enjoy the wonders of Brandy and Max. It's a beautiful world we live in. All Good right, times. All right. See you later. You got it. Thanks so much to Kevin Clark. Thanks so much to Sean Grandy. And thanks to SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor since the 1800s. SeatGeek will help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed with their revolutionary grading system. Don't forget to check out The Watch, Channel 33, and all other great podcasts. Don't forget to check out The Ringer this week. We're doing a lot of content coming up, uh, especially around NBA All-Star Game, so check that out. And I have a column coming on Friday and another podcast with an old staple of the BS Podcast. I mean, he's been on many times. 
somebody who the, who the listeners have enjoyed. That's the only hint I'm giving you. See you later in the week. I wanna see them on a way so